Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 14th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. It's Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, I know it's Tuesday. We have not done a water cooler episode. I've actually gotten emails complaining that they want more water cooler We'll get to that, but the news has just been so heated. Yesterday we had that uh, Game of Thrones uh, discussion, which needed to be had, and today we just got a bunch of news to get to, but uh, hopefully tomorrow we get to the water cooler episode, so look forward to that. Uh, But let's jump into it. This morning, Bob Iger revealed some Star Wars news. Uh, First off, let's talk about the next film after Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yes, it is now official that the the next Star Wars film, which is due out in 2022, will be from the Game of Thrones showrunners, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Um, we had already known they were writing uh, a Star Wars trilogy. We just didn't know which would come first, their trilogy or the, the Ryan Johnson trilogy, which is, as far as we know, still happening. But uh, now we know. Now it's going to be a, at least the first film is cu- that will will kick this off will be their film um we don't know really any details about it we do know that it'll be outside of the current skywalker saga because that's ending with the last jedi so it'll presumably focus on all new characters but uh we don't really know for sure all we know is their film is the one that's coming next um does like I, I feel like a lot of people out there are probably taking this as a sign, oh, Ryan Johnson's trilogy is canceled. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think if you look at what Bob Iger has been saying for a while now, uh, on the last earnings call when he talked about uh, the future of Star Wars, he mentioned the trilogy from these guys. He didn't mention Ryan Johnson's trilogy. I think this, like, you know, these guys are coming off of Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing the workload is a lot less now that you know post-production has uh concluded and ryan johnson is full-blown in the middle of a film busy so it's it just seems logical that they would be on next uh 
Jacob, I know you are more on the positive side of what's going on in Game of Thrones, but does what what is going on with these showrunners? Does this at all make you more excited for them doing Star Wars or less excited? For them doing I'm, Star Wars. I'm pretty even keeled about it. Uh, as listeners know, so even those who listened yesterday to our big Game of Thrones episode, uh, I'm on the positive end of these guys as writers and producers. I'm not sure about them as directors, which is why I'm glad that they're not signed up to direct quite yet. I'm hoping they use their opportunity and privileges to get somebody really interesting in there. Uh, fingers crossed, we'll see. But right now, the big mood across the internet is, you know, cancel Star Wars, cancel these guys, <laughs> get them out of there, because the reaction to... The final season of Game of Thrones has been so divisive. And all I can think about is how everybody wanted to destroy Damon Lindelof when Lost was ending. And he came back with some of his absolute best career work with The Leftovers. So I think a change of pace, you know, these guys coming off of something huge and something that had every single eye on it may be able to bring out the best in them. Maybe having such a, a sudden shift in worlds could be exactly what they need in the same way that's what Lindelof clearly needed 10 years ago. So I'm still excited, especially if the rumors are true and they're working in the Old Republic, which is you know sort of a medieval-era Star Wars uh, time period, which you know would play their strengths. And I like these guys. They make some bonehead decisions, but they also make a lot of really good ones. So I'm still in. Um, I saw this tweet thread on Twitter from a guy named Daniel Silvermint. It was retweeted into my thread, so I don't know who this guy is. But he was explaining why people or his uh, viewpoint on why people are feeling or divisive on Game of Thrones, not just this season, but the last uh, season or two, is that these uh, that um, there's two different types of writing process. He claims that there are plotters and there are pantsers, and uh, basically. Plotters create a fairly detailed outline before they commit to a single word on the page. Pantsers discover the story as they write it, often treating their first draft like one big elaborate outline. They basically approach it from the characters and decide what the characters would do, whereas the plotters make, uh, you know, they plan the story out from a perspective of structure and plot and what needs to happen. Um and maybe doesn't you know isn't looking as much from the character's point of point of view. And he's saying that uh, George R. R. Martin was a pantser, and when you know things switched and these guys had to kind of take over the reins of w- what the final seasons were, uh, these guys are p- more plotters. Uh, th- does this sound like a good theory, Jacob? I, having read that same Twitter feed, uh, I don't I don't follow that person, but I was retweeting my feed, and it's a very interesting take on it. I think that's accurate. Uh, I do think uh, Benioff and Weiss are very cinematic in their storytelling and very cinematic in things need to happen, boom, 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 whereas George R. R. Martin is, is incredibly patient. Um, and I think both of them lean into these styles sometimes to a fault and sometimes to great success, and I think that's a very accurate read. And that's why I think these guys making a movie where it has to you know, be about plot, 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 you know, uh, especially in a big adventure movie like Star Wars, could be to their benefit. Uh, I, like I said, I think that the, the, the biggest knock against these guys is they made the most popular show in the world and the show that you know tens of millions of people watch every week. And I really think that when you actually take a step back and in a few years when we all do that, we're, we're going to see these guys are very smart even when they even when they sometimes say really dumb things. So I think they have the right instincts for this and, and yeah. for this type of storytelling. And I would argue under this, like, the premise that this guy sets up, that J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson are both pantsers and not plotters. Um, And I think 
generally Star Wars, you know, the George Lucas films have been created by plotters. So uh, this might be a more return to the form of what we were used to, maybe? I don't know. Um, okay, let's talk about the live action news that dropped. I guess uh, Iger revealed that there's a new live action Star Wars show in development. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, so during the uh, same summit conversation where Bob Iger mentioned that uh, Benioff and Weiss would uh, be doing the first new Star Wars movie that comes out in December 2022, he also mentioned how they were going to be filling that three-year gap between The Rise of Skywalker and that first movie. And he said in the interim, uh, not only are they producing The Mandalorian and the other previously announced Rogue One prequel series that focuses on Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, but he said that there would probably be a third live-action Star Wars series that would get off the ground before that first movie debuts in 2022. And that's the first that we've ever heard of them doing a third live-action Star Wars series in addition to the two that were already announced. But it's not the first time that we've heard rumblings of another Star Wars series because um, there have been rumors on the, uh, the web that there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi series in development, one that would kind of pick up the pieces of what was likely going to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars story that was abandoned after Solo, a Star Wars story, didn't do so hot at the box office. So more than likely, this seems like the best um, option for the, a third live-action Star Wars series. It's something that fans have wanted to see for a while, especially if they get Ewan McGregor back into that role. Um, and if there were any other sort of idea, we probably wait, would have wait, wait. Do, do fans really want an Obi-Wan series? Like, I feel like you could have said that about a Han Solo series. They're like, oh, fans love Han Solo. They want a Han Solo movie. And I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, I feel but like also, the- you got to remember the guy <clears throat> they got to play Han Solo. No offense to Alden Einreich, or whatever I say his name. I thought he did a good job, but I feel like the excitement wasn't there for that because it was a different guy. And... If they got Ewan McGregor, you know, obviously he's not the original Obi-Wan, but he played him for three films. I feel like that would excite people. But if they cast someone else, I think they will have like that same lukewarm reaction. That's just my theory. I, no, and there, I, and I, I just the, feel like Disney is taking the long, the wrong lessons from the Star Wars failures. In my mind, they're like, "Oh, people don't want a Star Wars film, more than one Star Wars film a year." No, people will look at the Marvel films, just three Marvel films a year. And I know we've argued this on the podcast in the past. I think if it's good, people are going to want to see it. It's, it's, it's when it's something that they don't want. And I feel like there's been a strong pushback to fans, not fans want new stories with new characters in this galaxy far, far away. They don't want origin stories. They don't want prequels. Yeah. But when it comes to, Ewan McGregor's version of Obi-Wan Kenobi, fans really do like him as a character, um, especially when it comes to his portrayal in, in Clone Wars. Um, and even though people, there are some fans who don't like the prequels, there are just as many fans now who grew up with the prequels and love Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi and want to see what happened during that big gap between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. And sure, But there's such uh, a short runway there. Like, what can you do with the character? He's, like, protecting Luke from afar. Like, what? what is... Well, yeah, yeah, sure, but you, don't, you have no idea what else happened during that time. There, there could have... There's plenty of stories that you can tell during, during you know, that time period. There's a good 16, 17-year gap there, and a lot happens in the, the, that amount of time. You know what, Brad? They have, they have a book... They have books to tell those stories. They don't like. need books if you have Ewan McGregor. I'll watch Ewan McGregor do the dishes. Jacob, what what are your thoughts on this? 
my thoughts are that they've already covered this in the recent canon Star Wars comics. There was a really terrific arc where Luke Skywalker recovers Obi-Wan Kenobi's old journal and he reads it and they have flashback issues set in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. And literally, what, some was of them... that the arc that it ended up that Obi Wan Kenobi was responsible for the blue milk in Tatooine? Actually, I don't remember that part. I mean, we'd be probably right. It was like the but... worst of prequel, like you know, prequel itis <laughs> kind of uh, storytelling. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just remembering the parts I do like uh, from early on in that run where uh, it was at some points it was Obi Wan Kenobi and young Uncle Ben buddy cop series where they're both on tattooing at the same time both trying to make sure luke skywalker uh does not die in various ways and ended up being surprisingly entertaining especially when they leaned into obi kenobi essentially being like an undercover you know vigilante like wandering the desert just destroying everything that could possibly um come to harm luke and it was actually really fun i but my whole thing is those are canon like they are part of the new canon so either you adapt stories you've already seen or you decide they don't matter anymore but i love you mcgregor i think he seems really enthusiastic to return to this part but i i do wonder if this is the right choice so i kind of see both points of view here yeah well we don't know that's it we'll have to see what it what it actually is going to be uh let's let's talk about how the loss of disney could affect netflix i know netflix's stock has been down since disney announced disney plus and they were leaving the service to start their own streaming service uh there's a new poll conducted by the morning consult alongside the hollywood reporter of over two thousand people uh what does this new poll show us jacob this poll shows that a number of netflix subscribers say they will cancel their netflix subscription uh if certain things leave the service uh for example 22% 22% of those polled said they would uh, leave Netflix if Marvel movies left. 20% said they would leave if Star Wars left. 14% said they would leave if The Office left. And 11% said they would quit if Friends left. Now, my initial knee-jerk reaction to this poll was that I do not think 22% of people will give up Netflix if Marvel movies leave for Disney+. Plus. And that's because Marvel movies are you know, only been two or three them at a time on Netflix. They've never been like... The part, the, the bread and butter of that service, but I do think this poll shows that there is a growing dissatisfaction with Netflix's library. If people are willing to at least make it clear, hey, this would upset me, even if they wouldn't actually drop it. That's the thing that Netflix should be worried about. And if Marvel and Star Wars go, and if The Office and uh, Friends go, which are conversations we've been hearing about for years now, I think a lot of people may not necessarily quit on Netflix, but they'd be unhappy with it, and. I think a lot of people view Netflix as a utility these days. You know, they pay the Netflix bill in the same way that they pay, you know, the water bill and the electricity bill. It's just something that they have as part of daily life. But I do think that losing these big names and losing these comfort food shows, the things people really enjoy and are attached to, is something Netflix should be seriously worried about. Even if half the people who say they would leave actually leave, it's a big deal. Brad, do you think that 28% of Netflix users will actually leave? If Marvel and Star or when Marvel and Star Wars movies leave the service, I mean, this doesn't make much sense to me because it's not as if Netflix has always been this bastion of Marvel and Star Wars content. The only three Star Wars movies that have ever been on Netflix are Rogue One, Solo, and The Last Jedi. And Marvel has only ever had two or three movies at a time on Netflix before they've gone gone away after you know the the window expires for them to be on Netflix. 
So it seems weird to me that there's this whole group of people out there who only stick with Netflix just to watch like five or six movies that are have been available just for a certain period of time. Uh, like, why are you paying for Netflix if that's all you're getting out of it? You know, there, there's always a rotating library of movies. There's always new shows. So if that's why you're going to leave Netflix, it just I feel like you shouldn't pay for it at all. You would you'd have uh, a better use of your money just buying the movies digitally so that you can watch them whenever you want to. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, I feel like some of this is just like people saying they would probably be annoyed and they're thinking, oh, yeah, I'll cancel. But then when they realize, oh, but then I can't watch this, they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, never mind. I'm not going to cancel Netflix. Yeah. On t- and on top of that, by the time, you know, Disney Plus comes out, they'll probably be like, you know, Stranger Things season three and like other things to keep them on the service. So I think a lot of those people saying they're going to leave, like maybe that's how they feel. But uh, leave, you know, actually canceling a service and saying you're going to cancel like uh, are two separate things. <laughs> like, there's a couple services, uh, subscription services I have that I've been meaning to cancel for like over a month, and it, it just got rebuilt. And I was like, oh, I forgot to cancel this. Um, so I think, like, I don't know, if people are lazy like me, then uh, I, I suspect that this number is probably going to be a lot less. But, but I do think Netflix has something to worry about here. Um, but Chris, I mean, you cover the streaming beat, so you, you can't cancel. No, although I will admit I, I have been watching Netflix a lot less lately, but I don't think I would ever cancel it just because I don't know, I'd feel weird to not have it. I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a story that broke yesterday. Actually, we broke it. It was an exclusive story. I learned that they are making a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. It's going to be called Shrunk. It is a sequel slash reboot. Josh Gad is going to star as uh, the son of of the character from the original 1989 film. He'll play the grown-up version of scientist inventor Wayne Zielinski's son, Nick Zielinski, who was like 10 in that original movie. Um, And basically, this is about him and his kids, and he accidentally shrinks them. Uh, Kind of like the same plot of the original. It's kind of like one of those reboots that takes the plot of the original but sets it as a sequel. So it's it's it is both a sequel and a reboot, but it's more of a reboot than a sequel. Um, I, I'm wondering what you guys think of this because Honey I Shrink the Kids is is a movie I grew up with, I loved as a kid. Um, by the way, Joe Johnson's directorial debut, um, and and uh, you know has impressive special effects, but you know it's all miniature and uh, huge practical effects. Uh, this was a day before, you know, CG. Now we have so many more powers of visual effects at our hands. And I mean, some of those end up being bad. But if you look at like Ant-Man, for instance, if you look at the like tiny action in that, I think there should, could be something cool to be done with uh, a, re, you know, a redoing of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And uh, Josh Gad, I know he's not someone I love in everything, but for this kind of comic adventure kind of story, I think his over-the-top character is is kind of perfect for this. Uh, Brad, what are your thoughts? I have been wanting to see a remake of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for a while. Um, I also grew up on the movie like you did. I had it on VHS. I watched it all the time. I still think it's a great... um, like family friendly adventure movie uh, from from the early 90s. And but I think that exactly because we have all these new state of the art special effects, you can do so much more 
with that story and do do a lot of different things that make a reboot uh, feel a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say necessary, but um, it, it it makes it more accessible and it give it, there's more of a reason to do it as opposed to just it being a familiar title. Um, and I actually I, I really do like Josh Gad. He's definitely made you know some questionable decisions as far as some of the movies that he has done. But I think a lot of those decisions are also in service to allow him to do other things that he is much more passionate about. He's he's very much a a fan of a lot of the same you know big properties and uh, geek friendly uh, IPs that we are. And I think that he always wants to do things that you know are good and please the kind of fans that he he also is at heart. Um, and he, he, honestly, I think he's really funny too. There um there was a short lived uh, series on FX that he did with Billy Crystal called The Comedians that I thought was really funny and I think it shows his uh the more edgy side that people don't often see from him since he you know is so firmly within Disney's uh you know house there but he's I, I think that this has the potential to be something that's really cool yeah um Chris any feelings on this did you grow up with uh Honey I Shrunk the Kids I did I, I remember liking it a lot I mean I haven't seen it in many years but to, to piggyback off of something you were saying I feel like the fun of that movie was you know, the, the, the practical effects, the miniatures, the you know the idea of actors interacting with these, you know, giant things. And they're not going to do that for this. I just, I, you know, there's no way it'll, it'll, it'll be like CGI or like green screen. And it just, I don't know. It just won't be as fun as that, you know, that practical giant prop effect, but that's, those are my two cents. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, let's move on to the Twilight Zone. It has been announced that they're going to re-release this Twilight Zone reboot in black and white soon. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so the the new Twilight Zone from Jordan Peele, which is on CBS All Access, uh, starting May 30th, you'll be able to uh, watch this first season in black and white, just like the original Twilight Zone, which was, of course, in black and white. So... Uh, there you have it. I, you know, believe it or not, I actually remember when this when this new s- series debuted. I saw a lot of people on Twitter uh, saying like it doesn't feel like the Twilight Zone if it's not in black and white, and I didn't feel that way. But I guess someone saw those tweets and took it seriously, and now CBS All Access is giving viewers that option. Now I know there has been a recent trend of doing this. They did this with Mad Max Fury Road, but I know. George Miller wanted to, you know, originally film that in black and white and release it theatrically in black and white. Like, is this just more of a gimmick? I I think it really depends. I mean, there's a trailer and and the footage in that trailer looks fine. But, you know, when you shoot something in black and white, it's a lot different than shooting it in color. Um, You know, you, you have to. Just the, just the way you set up shots and the way the, the color palette is, is put together and the aesthetic and all this stuff. So, you know, yes, obviously you can always strip the color away from something. But if it's not shot to be in black and white, it's not going to always look ideal. So I think it really it's going to vary from episode to episode, um, you know, depending on how they were lit and how they were shot and you know, it'd be one thing if they intentionally shot this to be in black and white, then it might end up looking great. But I'm really not sure. So, yes, the answer is yes. It's a gimmick. (laughs) Jacob, I know you're a big fan of the Twilight Zone. Is this enough to get you to rewatch the episodes? No, um, I have no interest in rewatching them. I mean, let me rephrase that. I like the show. I I like where it's gone, even though opinion still seems very mixed. 
but black and white alone is not going to get me to go click play again. I I, just, I would like more episodes, but black and white for me it was just that was never the, the point of the show, and for me it, it feels like Twilight Zone because of the writing and directing, not the black and white. So you know, not 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 for me. Uh, let's talk about this Aladdin clip because th- there is a clip from Aladdin. It shows the the perf- Will Smith's performance of Prince Ali. Uh, you can find it in the show notes. We'll link in the show notes. It's like a one minute clip. I don't think it'll spoil the film for you, especially if you've seen the original animated Aladdin. And if you haven't seen that, then whatever. I don't care about you. We're we're spoiling this this movie. Um, Will Smith uh, in this performance, like it feels so weird. Like this clip looks so bad. I'm usually kind of like on board and excited with what Disney's doing, even with these like live action remakes. But this like it looks like it was filmed on a soundstage. It looks so stilted. Like Guy Ritchie usually has more uh, energy and it it just feels so statically shot and uh uninteresting jacob i know you had a big reaction to this uh yes peter in fact i have taken notes on all 33 shots of this clip if you want to hear them (laughs) why have you taken notes yeah let's hear the notes all right uh shot number one medium shot of genie leading the parade his turban explodes in confetti will smith's singing voice is oddly flat I feel like this the song is pitched in the wrong direction for his voice, and it's immediately apparent he does not feel comfortable singing this song. Shot number two, wide shot of a cheap, small-looking courtyard with far too few extras and bad CG extension on the horizon. Shot number three, new, e- no, new angle on Genie from the crowd. It is inoffensive as a shot. Moving on. Shot four, <laughs> medium on Genie and dancers. Will Smith can't dance? Or was the choreographer drunk? It is not clear because everybody seems awkward and uncomfortable and their moves do not match the tempo of the song we remember. Shot five, the shot of the Sultan, Jasmine, and Jafar on a balcony. The Sultan's beard looks incredibly powerfully fake and the shot does not seem to exist within the rhythm or lighting of the rest of the sequence. Shot number six, a medium shot of Will Smith's awkward hand movements and he's act- he dances with each hand moving to each word in the song as if he's talking to a first grade classroom. Shot number seven, close-up of horns, inoffensive. Shot number eight, close-up of Genie as he literally brushes off his shoulder as he sings Brush Off Your Sunday Salam, which seems very weirdly literal and not like clever choreography at all. Shot number nine, more inoffensive horns. Shot number ten, a push-in on the Genie with awkward CGI transition while dancers flay all around him. Shot number eleven, a crane shot over the Genie reveals a parade of elephants without any grandeur. Uh, shot number 12, we finally see Aladdin, even with no lines, he's played by a piece of wood. Shot number 13, an inoffensive crowd shot. Shot number 14, close-up of Aladdin, he doesn't look princely at all, and I'm increasingly angry at him. Shot number 15, a wide shot of Genie and the dancers doing what looks like the hammer dance. It feels improvised. Shot number 16, an alternate angle on Aladdin, he still looks boring. Shot number 17, close-up on Jasmine and her lady friend. Apparently, they were told to react as if they're watching something impressive. Their reaction does not match what we are seeing. Uh, Shot number 18, a very fast cut of more dancing. Too fast for us to notice anything. Shot number 19, close-up of Genie dancing. Before we can take in any more choreography, it cuts away to shot number 20. Another extremely fast cut we can't take in. Shot number 21, awkward shot of Aladdin. Shot number 22, weirdly cheap-looking shot of, of people looking at Aladdin and smiling. Shot number 23, another new fast angle on Aladdin. Shot number 24, new medium angle on Genie and the Dancers. Cutting gets even more rapid here. Shot number 25, forward-looking dancers. 
Will Smith literally sidesteps in the shot and goes, woo. Shot number 26. Close-up of Jasmine's friends making hand gestures to indicate that this guy is rich. We know that. He has an army of parade people dancing for him. Shot number 27. Wide shot of more lousy choreography. And then a bunch of CGI ostriches enter. And Will Smith, while riding an ostrich, sings about exotic-type mammals, even though he's riding an ostrich, which is not a mammal. Shot number 28. A sudden close-up to a sudden close-up of an elephant, maybe because he mentioned mammals. So we're trying to connect the song to the imagery here. It's not working. Shot number 29. <laughs> dancing. It's pretty inoffensive. Shot number 30. Dancing. Inoffensive. 31. A shot of the wide crowd that's way too fast shot number 32 a very slight crane shot of the genie that cuts before we can see anything interesting happen shot number 32 sorry shot number 33 a uh, close-up of dancers and then the clip abruptly ends i rest my case wow um i wish we had a you know like a soundboard so we could have some clapping or something uh this is a real bad thing peter this looks, this looks terrible yeah there's that that shot that you pointed out of Aladdin coming in and he looks like so uncomfortable and weirded out. Like, I feel like he is the audience, right? <laughs> yeah. He, um, after that, I'm not even sure if I need to go to Chris or Brad, but do you guys have any additional thoughts? Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> I just, I, 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 first of all, Will Smith can't dance. Um, he's actually been very open about that. And so I don't know why, you don't just get like some kind of double and put Will Smith's face on it with with special effects so that you give the genie this power that he has. Because like after I watched this scene, I went back and I watched the original Prince Ali sequence, and it's just so much more full of life and it's even more fast paced and like you get fun moments because the genie keeps transforming into these other things into the crowd and into animals and all this stuff and will smith's just there like he's making a millennium music video on a bollywood movie set and it just I, chris any any thoughts i think it looks good no um <laughs> uh, yeah this this uh i'm pretty sure this is going to be the worst of the the disney live action movies to date just based on everything we've seen so far and this clip in particular which is there's like zero choreography at all. And if you're making a musical, you have to have choreography. You can't just have people just singing and like, no, it, it literally looks like they just showed up and shot the scene without like a single rehearsal. And it's embarrassing. Like if you've ever been like at a, a comedy show and the comic is bombing and like you feel your own face getting really red for them. That's how I felt watching this clip. Just like, Oh my God. Like how how did they like let this this even why would you even release this as a clip? They should hide this from everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Like usually when you release a clip, it's like your best foot forward, right? It's like the part of the movie that's gonna sell people into wanting to see this thing. It seems so like if this is the best part of the movie, what is the worst part of the movie? <laughs> I don't know. Like Ben and I saw like a a clip at uh at um CinemaCon that was much better than this. I I'm I'm so it's so strange that they put this out. Um okay, let's move on to our last thing because we are running out of time. We're already going over, but um there's something I want to talk about. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is about to open later this month. I will be visiting there next week sometime uh in advance. They ha- Disney has finally released the full lineup of food that they are going to have in the land, Brad, you did a write-up for this, and I know, you know, famously 
on our water cooler segments. You are always doing reviews of strange, weird food, uh, and you put together the the whole list of food that is going to be offered in this galaxy far, far away. I'm wondering what what are the highlights. Um, honestly, for me, I'm mostly uh, looking forward to the the alcoholic beverage lineup, just because a lot of these drinks sound like they have exactly what I like to get from you know drinks. I while I do enjoy a really good whiskey or bourbon, um, I, I also enjoy having uh, really fruity and delicious tasting mixed drinks, and there are tons of those that they're going to have uh, at Oga's Cantina. Um, you know, they have this thing called the T-16 Skyhopper, which has vodka, melon liqueur, kiwi, and half and hatch, half and half. Um, they have another thing called a Bespin Fizz, which has rum, uh, yuzu puree, pomegranate juice, white cranberry juice, and cloud swirl, whatever that is, but it sounds awesome. Um, and then they have, like, even the, the non-alcoholic drinks sound cool, too. They have the, the one that everyone's going to want to get is the Blue Bantha, and that's uh, what everyone will recognize as the Blue Milk. But uh, because they want to be as friendly as uh, possible, they do ha- um, they will have like a, a non-dairy uh, version of it as well. So you, if you're lactose intolerant, you don't have to get actual blue milk. But the blue bantha comes with its own uh, like specialty bantha-inspired vanilla butter sugar cookie, which also sounds amazing to me. And uh, I'm not super impressed by the choices that they have at uh docking bay seven food and cargo it's it feels like the kind of food where they're trying to be have like upscale meal options um and it just it just it's just like whatever to me like i I don't need a meal to look super fancy when i'm having it in the middle of you know star wars land at at i don't think it's about it looking super fancy it needs to look otherworldly well, and it and it kind of does, um, but 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 it also feels like the kind of meal where they're they're really doctoring up something that's just normal just to make it look different. How I, I will say, I do like the idea of the food that they have at what is called Ronto Roasters, uh, and that's where they have the, the more of the like the faster food where you just kind of want to get on the go. Um, they have this thing called a Ronto Wrap, which is a uh, roasted pork and grilled sausage with peppercorn sauce and tangy slaw wrapped in a pita. Um, and they have a certain kind of jerky there. They have other other specialty beverages um, that play, at that place. And then they uh, there's also a, a separate milk stand from the cantina where you can get both blue and green milk, uh, which, again, is um, a, a combination of uh, coconut and rice milk instead of actual dairy milk. So the, I, the, there's there's going to be cool stuff here for uh, for sure, and I I look forward to trying it if I ever make it to Galaxy's Edge in you know the next ten years. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this. One thing that annoys me is that most of these drinks, these alcohol drinks, are, like, named – like, like when you go to Galaxy's Edge, when you go to Batu, it's supposed to be a highly immersive environment. You are in the world of Star Wars. There's not going to be any merchandise that has Star Wars logos on it. Like, it, it's like you are actually in a planet in the Star Wars galaxy. But, like, a lot of these drinks, like Jedi Mind Trick, would there really be a drink – at a cantina that you buy called the Jedi Mind Trick or the T-16 Skyhopper or the Jet Juice or the Yub Nub. Like, I don't know. that I, I hate the names for these things. Well, why why wouldn't there, though? We have drinks called, like, a Screwdriver or uh, a Painkiller or a Mind Eraser. And but, those but, are... but, but the Jedi are, like, a people that people don't even believe in. Like, why would there be a drink named after them? Well, keep in mind, this, this doesn't this park take place... It takes place between it, uh, episode eight and episode nine, right? So at this point, the Jedi are now like being spread spread again because of the yeah. legend of Luke Skywalker. 
Possibly. Okay, the thing I'm excited for is I'm excited for the smoked uh, kadu ribs, which are like these sti- sticky pork ribs uh, served with a blueberry corn muffin and cabbage slaw. It, I, there's a picture in the article. It looks fantastic to me. And by the way, if, if you're wondering, I think it's called kadu. Is that how it's pronounced? K-A-A-D-U? Those are the creatures that the Gungans were were on in episode one, like those like almost like raptor looking bird creatures. Yes. So uh so I guess we're eating them now in this land, and they also have like fried Endorian tip yip. And I th- I guess that's like a bird on the, the, the planet of Endor. So it's it's kinda weird that we're like we're there's no porgs. You can't eat porgs or Ewoks, but we're eating like these creatures that are from this galaxy. Isn't that a little strange? Uh, all I want to know is, can I eat Admiral Akbar? No, I don't think there's anything Admiral Akbar inspired here. Uh, is there he's anything? A giant on... lobster. I want to. I want. I want. I want to devour his flesh, Peter. Is, is there anything on this list? Uh, I know there's a yub shrimp noodle salad. I don't know what yub shrimp is. That that's probably a creature from like. Naboo or something, I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, is there anything on this list, Jacob, that you you are, will be excited to have when you finally go to Galaxy's Edge? I'm looking forward to having some fried Andorian tipiup, which is a uh, crispy chicken with mashed potatoes. I uh, can't go wrong with that. <laughs> I'll probably pair it with a Batu Bon, a chocolate cake with a white chocolate mousse and coffee custard. And I will wash it down with some Moof Juice, which is fruit punch, orange, and chipotle pineapple, which is my favorite combination of sugary bullshit and spicy bullshit. <laughs> By the way, that um that place that uh, Brad talked about, that, that more quick-serve restaurant, that's the... Uh, what is that called? The Ronto's Roasters. Ronto's Roasters. I the, the cool thing about that is they're roasting the meat on a pod uh, pod racing engine, so it's like fully themed out. Uh, Chris, I, I I don't know when you're ever gonna make it to Batu. Uh, if you did, <laughs> if you did, what would you want to consume out of this list? I don't know. Nothing really. Like, do, does the blue milk come out of one of those weird monsters? Like, that would be cool if it was like they had a giant. <laughs> they they had, have like, green the, milk, yeah. Like, you know, do they they should have it like come out of like the nipple things of those things from the Last Jedi, and that's how you get it. And then I would I would have that. You like you hold a glass under it, like a like a like a you know soda machine, but it's the monster's nipple thing. So that, I don't know what they're called. What are those things called? Teat. No, no, the monster. I... <laughs> no, I think he was going to me for my my knowledge. Of... What are those called? What are those? I'm there. I I actually don't know what those creatures are called. I knew at one time, but I've I, it has been. They're called, they're called uh, Thala sirens or Thala sirens. T H A L A sirens. All so, right, that's so what you, I want. So you want like this. Theoretically, in this marketplace, there's one of those cr- huge creatures that is just like sitting there and constantly throughout the day being uh, milked, yeah. and like <laughs> it's like animatronic creature, but on the bottom of it is kind of like a Coke machine. Yeah, like you put like a you know a, a freezer inside its stomach and you fill it with cold green <laughs> milk and you just fill up your glass. That's what I want. But I want I want to be served it by like a really gruff looking Batu resident who doesn't say anything to me when I ask for it and just slams it on the counter. <laughs> yeah, yes. like that. If they should add that, then I will I will go to Galaxy's Edge just for this, and then I will immediately leave. I won't go on any rides or anything. 
Chris, it occurs to me that you would probably be the one here to enjoy alcohol, alcoholic beverages in Batu. Which of these options at the cantina? Because this is the first time that Disneyland, outside of Club 33, the private club, is going to be offering alcohol options. I don't know, man. These are all too sweet for me. I mean, I don't mind sweet alcohol drinks, but... Uh, you know, you, if you, you drink a lot of those, which I, you know, if I'm drinking, I'm going to get drunk. <laughs> so, so I would end up having too many and then I'd get like a really bad headache. It's not, it doesn't sound like a good combination. And it'd be like hot, you'd be walking around in the sun. I don't, I don't want to, I'll probably just get like a beer. If I go, I saw yeah. they had like a beer list. That's simple. Yeah. They have gold squadron lager. They have white wampa ale, Gamorian ale and bad motivator IPA. What I'm actually excited for is spice runner hard cider. Do you think that's going to be uh, like apple flavored cider? I'm guessing. I guess it has to be. It's yeah. got spice in the name. It's got cider. What else could it be? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything else of note here, Brad? No, I mean that's that's pretty much it. Um, I'm I'm interested to hear what you think of the food once you get a chance to try it, um, and you'll have to send me one of those thermal detonator Coke bottles. You know they they have limited that to like you can only buy three per person per transaction. I I, I heard about that. So you're, that, you're gonna that is have, nuts. So, so uh, you're gonna, gonna have to buy three and send me one. Okay. Can well, I say that I'm I'm disappointed that they're even though they're in a Star Wars language that there's Coke labels at all in Batu that, that bums me out. I always liked how the Harry Potter stuff at Universal uh, completely in universe labels. And I, I I do not like Coke products in Star Wars. I don't like it, Peter. But it is in universe. It's it's in Arabesh. Uh, it's still a recognizable Coke label. Here's what I would like. I wish that they were serving soft drinks uh, with the collectible Pepsi cans from Episode One. You know, I had the, uh, some of those for the longest time, like in my, like in, on a bookshelf, and uh, like one day I guess it got too hot or something, and they exploded all over the place. Oh, you kept them full? Yes. I, I had a, I had, I had a collection of empty ones, but then I, I was like, nope, these gotta go. <laughs> Do you remember there? There was like one that was like a gold Yoda can. Everybody was looking for the gold Yoda can, and in the commercial, I'm not sure if this was actually the case, but in the commercial, when you opened the gold Yoda can. A like there was a chance that there was a prize inside, so like there was a chance you'd like win like a million dollars or something, some some like huge prize, and like this like thing like comes out of the can when you open it. I don't know. Am I the only one that remembers this? Yeah, I don't I, remember that. I remember I the no. can, but I don't remember any like thing with a prize inside of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to the advertisement in the show notes. You can find all of. The stories we talked about in today's podcast in this uh, linked in the show notes and on slashfilm.com. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Or if you want life advice from Chris, send it to peter at slashfilm.com as well. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> wait, 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 what did you find here, Chris? It's then the I dropped it in the, the podcast channel. It's a seventy-five dollar full Mountain Dew Gold Yoda can. Very hard to find. <laughs> Very hard to find. <laughs> I w- but has it been opened? Like, could there? No, still... it says it's full. Yeah, it's full. Seventy-five dollars, Peter. It could be yours. Hmm. You could have this incredible <laughs> Mountain oh, Dew can. Wait, no, no, no. It says in this description here, it does have dents and dings. It's it's. As it's 20 years old. So, no, 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 I'm not doing it.
even though it's full, you, you don't want it because it has a dent in it. I see the dent too. There's a picture. Look at that. <sighs> now, but now you can haggle. You can be like, look, I'll give you 50 bucks for this. And then you can go back and forth. If you go search on eBay, there's a bunch more. By the way, there is a shop in Galaxy's Edge where you're actually su- you're actually supposed to uh, like be able to haggle with the alien proprietor of the shop. That sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, that won't that won't go well. Because oh. <laughs> Peter, to answer your question from earlier, according to the text on the gold Yoda can, congratulations, you have found a gold Yoda can and have won twenty dollars subject to verification. <laughs> to redeem your prize, call one 1800 for details and official rules. Game ends 9 slash 15 slash 99. Let's call that, num- call that number now and see if anyone picks up. <laughs> I was way off. I said a million dollars. It was only 20. <laughs> it's just, you call the number, it's just George Lucas. Oh, uh, thanks for buying uh, the <laughs> <laughs> 